I'm Seth. And I'm Jonathan. And welcome to No Experts Allowed. You know what we love? The Bible. You know what we don't love? When people use the Bible to scare or hurt others instead of allowing it to transform them and their communities. So we're trying something different. Two Bible nerds hosting a podcast that isn't about technical details, but is about two simple questions. What's the story and what's the point? One of us will prepare for the conversation. Let's call them the non-expert. The other will respond to the story as they hear it. We'll call them, and you, the storyteller. So we can show you that you don't need to be an expert to hear the Bible speak to our world. Join us. Let's tell a good story today. Hello, Jonathan. Hello, Seth. It's good to see you. Great to see you, too. Our audience can't see you, but your face just got brighter, which I thought was kind of appropriate for our passage. Oh, yeah. But we'll, we'll talk about that more. Yeah, we're getting ahead of ourselves. We are. First, I have a question for you. Okay. Before we get for to it. the passage. What would you do in this particular situation? Would you want to have all of your clothes bleached white or have a terrible... Laundry accident in which they're all multicolored and now tie-dye. Ooh. <laughs> Either one's a vibe that doesn't really match my style, per se. So it'd have to be <laughs> real strong change. I have had a pair of white jeans for a while that I've really rocked. Abby hates them, but I think they're great. I don't know if I could expand that to my entire wardrobe, though. I'm still stalling. I don't know. Have you thought this through? Do you have an answer? Well, the, my only problem with the white is, like, how are you going to keep everything white? I guess you can just keep bleaching it. Right. But, like, white jeans, like, I just feel like they look dirty, like, pretty fast. Speak so for like, yourself. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I might go with tie-dye. Do you have to match anything? I guess if it's all white, you don't have to match. But when you have tie-dye, do you have to try and match your clothes to each other? Or are you like, oh, this tie-dye swirl looks like the tie-dye swirl? I feel like either way, color know. is not the... Color is like both the most important and the least important thing in each situation. Yeah. It's like, well, everything looks crazy. <laughs> so I just have to pick it. True. That's true. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe I would just go all white. Help you stand out. You know how Steve Jobs always wore the same jeans and the black turtleneck, mm -hmm. like Simon Cowell with his V-necks. Yeah, exactly. Like it'd be kind of nice to open your closet. You never have to think about what you're gonna wear. Yeah, Just put put on the white pants and the bleached white shirt, and also be nice enough to own T-shirts that you feel comfortable enough wearing on national TV regularly. Yeah, true. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want you to see my SpongeBob Bubble Bowl performance t-shirt. Like, that's for me. That's for me in my house. <laughs> Neither of us have really answered. I no, think I'm I going would, white. I think, just to be different, I'm going to go with tie-dye. Okay. I think I'm I could, picturing. I think I could pull yeah. it off. That's I think I could pull it off and get less weird, weird looks than I would if I was wearing white all the time. <laughs> oh, well, I'm interested to see how this connects to our passage this week. 
So should uh-huh. I go ahead and read it for us? That would be great. All right. This is Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 10 from the message. Six days later, three of them did see it. Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain. His appearance changed from the inside out right before their eyes. His clothes shimmered glistening white, whiter than any bleach could make them. Nice. Elijah, along with Moses, came into view in deep conversation with Jesus. Peter interrupted, Rabbi, this is a great moment. Let's build three memorials, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He blurted this out without thinking, stunned as they all were by what they were seeing. Just then, a light radiant cloud enveloped them, and from deep in the cloud, a voice. This is my son, marked by my love. Listen to him. The next minute, the disciples were looking around, rubbing their eyes, seeing nothing but Jesus. Only Jesus. Coming down the mountain, Jesus swore them to secrecy. Don't tell a soul what you saw. After the Son of Man rises from the dead, you're free to talk. They puzzled over that, wondering what on earth rising from the dead meant. Ugh. Such a good passage. <laughs> and some great choices of words from the message, too. So why'd you, why'd you go with the message for a passage this week? I went with the message because I think we can get caught up in the word transfiguration or transfigured. And I wanted a translation that didn't use that. I think that that word in general just like captivates people. We have so many questions about it. And I think that those questions are healthy, but I also think that we can get so caught up in that one single word Mm -hmm. that I wanted to do something that avoided it, that let us focus on the rest of the passage. And I think that Eugene Peterson's The Message does a great job with that this week. And he makes it like almost a funny story, which I like. Yeah. So what (laughs) stuck out to you while you were reading this account? I think I, more than other times reading this, I connected with the disciples a little more. It's like trying to figure out what the heck's going on. So I loved Peter's just like, let's figure it out. We're going to build stuff to make sure we remember (laughs) this. But then I'm also just wondering, as we read in verse 8, that they're just looking around, rubbing their eyes, seeing nothing but Jesus. You know, what really happened? Like, what did they see? Did they see it as it's described? Did they see something a little different that I don't know I just want to know how this story came about and what their experience was like that's what that's what I think is intriguing me more I feel the same way like this is just kind of a crazy story I wish I could watch this from like a third person point of view right like watch Peter like just just blurt out dumb stuff basically right like he blurts this out without thinking (laughs) yeah like, uh, it's just so funny. Like, I don't, man. And then they're rubbing their eyes. Like, I think that's hilarious. I guess, like, it's like, is this a dream? What is happening here? Right? Right. I, at some level, I'm with you. I, like, kind of identify with them. Like, what is even happening? This story's crazy. Like, 
I think one of the things that struck me too is, you know, you and I have both been part of the Christian faith for a long time. And so the idea of resurrection or rising from the dead is not like normal for us, but we understand the concept. And this last part of the passage where the disciples are just like rising from the dead. (laughs) What? They have no idea what that concept is like. And, you know, obviously thinking about death differently in, in their culture versus ours, but also it, at least as we believe, hadn't happened yet. <laughs> so there wasn't there wasn't anything to base their understanding of that of that experience off of. Like so that was just really striking to me that that idea that's become so commonplace in modern Christianity was something that was completely unknown to the disciples. As Jesus was I like like how Jesus just drops it in at the end of this too. <laughs> he swore them to secrecy yeah. and he's like, don't tell a soul what you saw until after the Son of Man rises from the dead. <laughs> and then they're just like, oh, wait, what did he yeah. just say? I, but I wonder if how reading that is different for Mark's audience, really early converts to this Jesus following movement. In which, like, the, maybe they've heard some of these these stories about Jesus rising from the dead, right? But, like, it's pretty foreign for them, too. It's like a foreign concept. So I just wonder, if you were Mark's audience, would you identify with the disciples even more? Right? And if that also keeps you reading, or listening, probably. Don't, like, let me find out more of this. Sure. And this story is also yeah. relatively familiar to us, too. But if the disciples were sworn to secrecy, I don't know necessarily that it was in what is now called the Gospel of Mark. But like, I'm just imagining what Jesus' followers thought when they yeah, first heard yeah. this story. Like whether it was bef- whether it was before or after Jesus rising from the dead. You know, did anyone believe <laughs> these three? No. <laughs> it's almost it's almost like Jesus was oh, yeah, scary. Looking like from nuts, right? Looking <laughs> a fool. <laughs> you know, he was talking to Elijah and Moses. Yeah, sure, Peter. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, <laughs> go back to your fishing. It's gonna be fine. Or maybe sit up, yeah, get out exactly. of the sun for a few minutes. Like, you're like almost jealous of those other disciples, right? Who were just like they don't have this crazy story to tell. So it's like a, probably a lot more believable. Yeah, they're just like, yeah, we weren't there for that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> those characters are are interesting too, I guess I should say. That Elijah and Moses. So both of them are like kind of these seminal figures in the Old Testament. And both of them have these experiences of God on top of mountains, right? Just like this takes place on top of a mountain. But there's also traditions for both of them that they didn't die, but they they were ascended into heaven. So that's like one of the things that maybe would be in the, the mind of, of both Peter and James and John, but also the readers. I always wonder yeah. in this question, this is a question like modern interpreters ask of the text, I think. It's like, how do they recognize Elijah and Moses? Like, how would you know? Yeah. <laughs> do they have like, name tags? Did Jesus say their names yeah, really like, loudly? <laughs> 
Like, how would you know? You're just like, question. oh, so you just know that when you see him? I don't know. Yeah, like if I saw, if I saw, maybe, <laughs> like, someone like Abraham Lincoln, if I saw a reincarnated version of him, I might recognize him because I've seen photographs or paintings and things. Like, I'm presuming <laughs> they didn't have that kind of documented imagery of these folks that were at least. Like a thousand years prior yeah. to the time that we're talking about. Exactly. Yeah, here they are. Maybe they're friends on LinkedIn or something. Yeah, that that's true. That's probably it. We figured it out. The other thing that strikes me about this passage that I keep coming back to is reading or hearing. I keep using that too. Reading or hearing this in light of Jesus' own baptism. Right, where where he hears a voice that says, This is my son, the beloved, and with him I'm well pleased. And now we get another voice from a cloud, right? This is my son, marked by my love, listen to him. So I keep wondering like in what way the baptism is like real is almost personal. Even though in the text, like we all hear what's said to Jesus, right? Which is interesting. But I wonder in yeah. what way that's personal. And like, this is, a, this is, I don't even know, revelatory, right? For James and John sure. and Peter and now us. It takes what happens at baptism and makes it, makes it much more public. Right. Well, it also feels like the difference between the two are so similar, rooted in Jesus's identity. And at Jesus' baptism, it's almost like that identity is is what makes him important. Mm-hmm. And now mm-hmm. here, this mm-hmm. same important person has something to say. Hmm. Like almost in a, I mean, this is coming towards the middle of Mark. So it's not like he's been silent to this point. But it's almost as, especially as Jesus is getting closer to Jerusalem towards the end of his life, which Mark is essentially like, an extended prologue to (laughs) the story of Jesus's death. Yeah. You know, it almost feels like this is a, another marker of the beginning of something that Jesus is about to do. Honestly, an image that came to mind was the, uh, the scenes from, from Harry Potter, a couple of the times when both in the Goblet of Fire, when, Voldemort has kind of regained strength and he and Harry are in a duel, but also in the, in the Deathly Hollows, the last book, when Harry is preparing to sacrifice himself, there are these moments where Harry's loved ones come and gather around him Mm -hmm. kind of one more time Mm -hmm. uh, and, and offer him guidance. And it's like their stories are continuing in him and yet are also making his actions kind of possible too in a lot of ways and i know there have been a lot of comparisons between harry potter and some other like other stories that connect to the bible Uh, and i also understand that harry potter is becoming more and more problematic as jk rowling continues to utter more and more idiotic transphobic things every day uh but like that is just a, a really striking image that came to mind here is like what was elijah and moses's conversation with jesus about 
was it just them fist bumping and be like, yeah, we're the Holy Hall of Fame? Or were they <laughs> were, the- were they providing Jesus <laughs> with something that Jesus needed hmm. for this next stage of his journey that he was about to go on, one that would lead to his brutal execution? I love that. Hmm. It always strikes me, and I'm almost positive they do this in the Methodist tradition, that like someone sponsors your baptism right and for both adults and children yeah and they answer questions about things that they will do mm-hmm. hmm. like is this i haven't really thought about this as something that like these people do something for right with and for jesus at yeah. this point in his ministry and i wonder if that's like in some way parallel to like the way the sponsors work Man, I haven't thought about that. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't know that I, I like really that. explored that either. Yeah. Hmm. Man, I just have so... We come on here, I research, and then we come on here, and then I always come up with like 15 more questions. Yeah. Like, this is this is an aside. At the end, the disciples don't tell anyone what they see. But one of the chief things in the Gospel of Mark is that Jesus keeps telling people not to tell about him, the Messianic mm-hmm. secret in the Gospel of Mark. And then they do. Right. But here the disciples don't. So I don't know. This is off the top of my head. It'd be interesting to track. Is it, do the disciples always keep the secret Yeah. until he rises from the dead? And it's other people who tell. Man, see, I don't know. Now I got to look this, now I got to figure it out. Yeah, also the irony of a text that documents and tells the stories yeah. several times that Jesus tells them not to tell. So Exactly, yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay, <laughs> admittedly, I've been so en- engrossed in our conversation that I don't know where we are in the grand scheme of things. So where are we? Are we in what's the point already? Or are I we... don't think so. Okay. I think we're like, we're on the cusp. We're, yeah, we're, we're talking around it. We often do. Yeah, that's okay. I've been thinking about this story, like we were talking about before, as kind of as the second part of Jesus' baptismal story, that there's these people here who are with him, that all of a sudden his baptism and his identity is much more public. I wonder if we can talk about that a little bit more, what it looks like not not just to have our baptismal identity, but to live it out Mm. and to, to have other people see it. Not just in our weird shimmering clothes. Yeah. But like in, in our way of life and our being. Yeah. And is that I, I'm it, part of the Methodist tradition now is to, like in the Lutheran tra- tradition, to baptize infants. Um, I was not baptized as an infant. I was in a tradition that I grew up in several traditions that all affirmed what's called believer's baptism. And so when I was, gosh, sometime in high school, I made a decision that being baptized was something that I wanted to do. And we don't have to get into the debate of the merits between the two. Uh, if anyone on the board of ordained ministry is listening, I'm clearly in the infant, if infant baptize, uh, <laughs> the infant <laughs> baptism camp. But I think that that distinction is actually something that stands out to me is that in the narrative of believers, baptism, baptism and kind of this public declaration of some, like this public symbol that you have agency in, 
that's kind of at the center of narr- the narrative, right? Is saying that my faith is this important to me, that I want to do this thing that Jesus did to show how important to me it is. And short of maybe something like confirmation, there isn't something quite as public that allows folks who were baptized as children to do the same kind of thing. Um, And honestly, I'm not really interested in talking about confirmation all that much, so (laughs) maybe I shouldn't have have brought that up. But I think think there is a, a, a change, and I know there was for me too, of saying my faith is something about my life to my faith is something that I want to make a primary factor in how I make my decisions and how I want to Mm -hmm. order and structure my life and how I want to seek hope and trust. I I, I think for me, there was, there was still that moment, but it, it it doesn't, we don't necessarily give people that opportunity in, in as explicit ways, especially as we might, if we were part of more evangelical traditions too. In my own Lutheran tradition often talks about remembering your baptism, which I always find a little bit ironic because I was like four months, four months right. old. Like I'm never, I'm not going to remember it. Like I'm yeah. like it's a little bit of a disconnect, right? Like to baptize babies and then to tell people to remember their baptism. Like maybe, and maybe it's just the language. Maybe it's better to say remember that you are baptized, right? Mm-hmm. It's better than... Yeah, but that's not usually how I hear it. Well, there's something, yeah. I don't know, there's something that happens with that every time we see a baptism. Is yeah, that we that's are, true. We are creating our individual and collective memory of this act that binds us together, uh, and that that is our primary identifier that marks us as God's own. And it almost feels like those kinds of identifying moments are it's the same kind of thing we see in this passage of Hmm. these public moments that are not just meaning something for the person in this case for Jesus, who's experiencing them, but it is also significant for those who bear witness to it, whether they are coming before or are coming after. And even if we don't understand it at the moment, it's like when we look back at it down the road, when we have our own experiences or understandings of things like baptism things like communion, even things like gathering and why these are important for our faith. Those moments and stories where we might have been confused or at least unaware of what was going on around us, we begin to look back at with more clarity and a sense of understanding for what was actually going on. And so I wonder how Peter would have looked back on this at the time when the church was more established and Gentiles and Jews were worshiping together and the slaves and free were worshiping together, and men and women were worshiping together, and all were offering leadership. I wonder what Peter would have said about how he's documented in this story. Would he have looked back with more understanding? Would he have just said, yeah, I don't know what that was about? But I have a sense that as he gained a stronger understanding of the big picture of what Jesus was up to later on, he could look back at this much like, we can do with our baptism even if we have no idea what's going on at the moment yeah yeah there's a history in the early church of baptizing people at easter vigil Mm -hmm. i often think about how 
impactful it is not only for the person being baptized but everyone else who's there who gets to watch that right and kind of the spectacle of it all man yeah it's interesting the way that baptism is formative certainly for the person who's being baptized but also for right for everyone else who also hears the these words sees that happen right yeah yeah, just like it is for Peter and James and John. It seems to be formative. Yeah, like I wonder in what way that this this weird story of transfiguration encourages them throughout their ministry, right? To keep to kind of keep going. Yeah. It is truly Ooh. it's truly a spiritual practice to remember. Have you ever have you ever had those yeah. conversations where you're thinking back about certain certain things and then you either remember or are reminded about a detail that you just completely lost from your memory memory or completely suppressed yeah. in your memory? <laughs> yeah. It just it feels like that exploration, especially given the gift of of brains and memory banks that allow us to explore them so freely. It seems like that exploration provides us some really meaningful opportunity to explore some weird things that have happened to us and make sense of <laughs> yeah. them on yeah. the tail end here. You know, hmm. Hindsight is twenty twenty, but sometimes it takes that kind of reflection to actually be able to see and understand what was going on at the time. This communal aspect of, of Peter and James and John keeps coming back to me too, that those people can all help each other process like what they saw. Right, what happened in this moment? Yeah, as opposed to trying to do that work yourself, which I think is is certainly a part of it. But it's helpful when you can try and process this together. Like when someone, when you went through the same experience with someone, and they go, "Don't you remember that this happened?" Mm-hmm. And you're like, "Oh, I totally forgot about that." You're right. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just thinking that's one of the things that strikes me about this story. It's just Peter, James, and John. Like, where you know, where are the other guys? Yeah. And why those three? Right. And honestly, thank goodness that other people are around to help me remember stuff. Yeah, true. I set out to try and not talk about transfiguration. I think we didn't. I think so, too. (laughs) We should should stop soon before we try. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Because it's like opening its own can of worms. Well, thanks for talking about that with me i know it's a it's a weird story like a lot of mark and it it's only made weirder by how well known it is i think right something a lot of people know but very few understand i still don't think i understand it but i mean me neither but i'm really grateful for the the ways it's invited us into this conversation like so often when we engage the weird stories on this podcast, it just, it unlocks something for us, invites us into a space where we can start exploring, start remembering and start making meaning of so many things in our lives. The Bible's great. It's messed up, but it's great. <laughs> it always invites us to ask questions, I mean, mm-hmm. both about the text in our lives and how we see the world. Yeah. Right. So with that, will you pray with me? I'd love to. And this prayer is from the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. This is the appointed prayer.
prayer for this Sunday's text. Almighty God, the resplendent light of your truth shines from the mountaintops into our hearts. Transfigure us by your beloved Son and illumine the world with your image. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. To our listeners, thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe and tune in for our next episode. Jonathan, what story will we tell next week? Next week, we're heading back to one of my favorites, the Psalms. We're going to look at Psalm 25. But until then, leave us a review and find us on Twitter and Instagram to continue the conversation. Thanks for walking us through that story, Seth. Thanks for helping me tell it. <laughs>